Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. us today. Can we do that? Lord, I love you and I thank you for your goodness and your mercy. What a privilege it is to be here today. It's not a privilege that we take for granted. It's not an opportunity, Lord, that we feel cavalier about in the very least. But we're very humbled that you've allowed us to be in your presence and to touch our lives. And you've given us the privilege now for the next few minutes to allow your word to be the centerpiece of our lives. We're not trying, we're not trying to bend your word to fit our lives. We're trying to bend our lives to fit your word. And so touch us today now by your grace in Jesus' name. You may be seated. I want to speak to you today about my subject is just simply this maintaining balance. Maintaining balance. That seems to be quite a challenge. Um, I know at varying points in our, our lives, certainly when we come into this world, we don't have the ability to really balance. Someone else has to teach us that or help us as we learn the ability to balance ourselves. And then as life progresses on, it's not uncommon toward uh, the end of the journey to somewhat struggle again with balance. And, um, and then, of course, many times throughout even our lives in adulthood, we may literally lose our balance. I'm talking about balance, of course, today in the sense of spirituality and and uh, the difference are the two different worlds that are that are even present here this morning, and and that that we feel the spirit and the presence of God. That is one world. We feel the spiritual aspect of just being in the presence of the Lord. I felt so refreshed this morning just to step in the side door and. And then as we begin to sing a chorus to just kind of collect our thoughts and worship God, it was just refreshing. It was refreshing to feel the presence of the Lord. But the other side of, the, of that world that is represented here today was represented far before 10 o'clock. Somewhere around 8.30 or so, our musicians and singers were here, and they were practicing, and, and they were working over the tangible aspects of, of this service. And uh, Sunday school teachers several days ago began uh, studying and preparing. And, uh, and so there were, there were those tangible things for several hours yesterday, last night, and from before daylight until just a little while ago, I have been working on the tangible aspects of that. So there are two worlds that are present here. There's the natural world of... of uh, of, of flesh and responsibility. We, we have a responsibility. It says on our sign that we start at 10 o'clock. We have a responsibility to start at 10 o'clock. And, um, and, and so at 10 o'clock, we're not trying to figure out what we're going to do. We have a responsibility to be ready to begin then. 
and uh, and so there's there's some responsibilities that we have, but we also uh, we also declare that we are filled with a spirit in the presence of God, and and we are a spirit filled church, if I may just use a phrase there, and so we have a responsibility not to just begin some mechanical service at 10, but we also have a responsibility to the spirit world or in the spirit world um, to make sure that the anointing of God is present, that we can not only enjoy that and, and experience that ourselves, but we want others to be able to do that. There is little doubt that we're living in an hour of great uncertainty. Wars and rumors of wars blanket the whole earth. A tangible, uh, a tangible sense of volatility seems to touch the heartstrings of almost everything around us. We see this played out in everything from the weather to the economy and all points in between. Now, I, I'm not suggesting that this is the very first time in history that humanity has stood at such an intersection of uncertainty. That certainly would not be true. Uh, many, history records for us not only biblical history but our literal uh, world history. American history records for us times and seasons of great uncertainty, some of them even outshining the uncertainty of, of the very hour we're living today. And I believe should time carry on, I'm most certain that that we as a body or humanity will stand at that intersection again. We're living in an hour when we have to decide... The real purpose of what serving God is all about. I uh, I don't want to sound crass in what I'm about to say, but I, I do believe it to be true or I wouldn't say it. I believe that thousands of people all across America are sitting in, in churches somewhere of some size, shape, semblance at this very hour. And yet many of them may not have a real clue as to why they're there. It has been uh, tradition, perhaps, in their family and and uh, handed down from generation to generation. And in that sense of tradition, I suppose that's a wonderful thing. But I believe that we should not just be doing something without an understanding of what we're doing, not just going through the motions. I know that, as I mentioned a moment ago, may sound a little brash or unkind. I don't mean I don't mean that to be unkind, but. I believe that if you were to ask some people that are even sitting in church while you're here, the answers to that would probably be quite interesting. As a matter of fact, uh, the answers that we may get if we poll this very congregation may be somewhat interesting. And so for that reason, we're not going to do that. (laughs) I'm sure someone would say, if asked, why are you here today? I'm sure someone would say, in part, I am here because I am attempting to make heaven my home. And certainly, I believe that is an underlying motive for most. I can honestly say that would be completely true. And I think that we ought to be in in church in an effort to make heaven our home. But that shouldn't just be some cliche that we utter. I, I, I don't think that we can afford to just merely consider eternity. I want to live with eternity in sight. I want to operate with eternity in sight. But I can't be so concerned about eternity that I forget that I must consider today, must consider what we're going to do today. Someone said years ago or something like this, we must plan like the Lord 
His coming, the Lord's coming is far into the future, but we must live as though He were coming today. And there's a lot of truth to that. As a pastor, I, I bear many responsibilities, but certainly I think at the top of the list, at least near the top of the list, is that I must have a vision for this church. Not just for today. I'm not just trying to, should not be just trying to worry about what am I going to preach today. And then hope that tomorrow will take care of itself. But I, I believe that I bear a responsibility to have a vision for this church and to preach that vision, to talk about that vision, to cast that vision. As I've often said, uh, that I think a, a leader has to cast the vision. And I think that, that people that are under that leadership have a responsibility to catch that vision. I love to dream about what we need to do or what we would like to do or where I would like to see us in years to come. And I'm going to tell you that I would share my real dreams with very few people because it would scare a lot of people. I mean that. I'm not just trying to say say that again to have something to say. But I want to stand high enough on the wall that I'm not just thinking about where we are today or where we would like to be next year or five years or ten years from now. But I, I believe that I think most pastors would agree uh, with that, I love to dream about what we uh, need to do and what we are planning to do. Also, I should have a vision for the church, uh, not just this church. I'm t- up to now, I've been talking about this church, a vision for this church. But I also believe that I need to have a vision for the church at large or the body of Christ. Amen. Perhaps that should should go without saying. But in addition, uh, in, uh, should go without saying. But in addition to having a vision for the church. This local congregation and in, and in addition for having a vision for the body of God or the body of Christ at large, I also believe that we bear a responsibility to have a vision for the kingdom of God, to be kingdom minded, not just worried about what we're doing in Hatchman Apostolic Church, not just what we're doing as a, a church organization within the confines of America or internationally. But I believe that we also ought to be plugged in, sensitive to what is going on in the kingdom of God. Amen. To uh, Brother Cunningham said many years ago, he said, the church has often gotten it backwards. He said, we often plan things and program things and, and uh, we get something going and then we all join hands and ask God to bless that. But he said, what we ought to be doing is finding what God's blessing and start doing that. <laughs> And so how do we find what God's blessing? That, that is by reaching into the kingdom of God and getting the mind of Christ. As many of you know, I, I, I have been looking for an opportunity to share this testimony. And so I suppose here is as good uh, a time and moment as anything. Some of you have heard a little bit about this in bits, in bits and pieces. But I just want to share this with you as I know it. You know, uh, about two weeks ago, my wife and I were at General Conference in St. Louis. As I've often said, our General Conference services are each sponsored, the main services are each sponsored by the various departments of our organization, whether that's Sunday school or, or youth or men's ministry, ladies' ministries, global missions, home missions, etc. On Wednesday night was our global mission service. I didn't realize it at the moment. I did not re- I knew it was a global mission service, but I did not realize when I stepped into that arena that I was stepping into something in an atmosphere where something supernatural was about to take place. 
to me, it was just another service. <laughs> I just got dressed, walked across the street, showed my badge at the door, and I walked in and took a seat, and I didn't realize that I was about to be a part of something supernatural and about, uh, about to be a part of something historical. I was going to be sitting right there when it happened. As a matter of fact, I was going to participate in what was taking place. Pastor Norman Pasley, who pastors a great church in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a part of our global missions board and um, our general global missions board. And so at a specific time in that service, uh, Pastor Norman Pasley stepped behind the pulpit and it was offering time. He talked about the missionaries that we currently have that are not in their respective fields of labor because they are traveling in America to raise their budget. And so we have missionary services here several times a year uh, to help them, and they are raising money for their budget in a four-year stint. Among many families that are traveling, 26 of those families, 26 career missionaries, and when I say career missionaries, there's a specific reason for that title. These are not... Uh, people that are just starting out in missions, but these are people that have been working in missions for a, a long time and they have met a lot of criteria to, in order to be qualified to carry the title of career missionary. And so there were 26 families, 20, 26 career missionary families that were present in that service among many, many, many other families. And Brother Pasley said, we need to get these missionaries out of America and back to their countries. And then he paused and he said, Tonight. Well, that one word kind of shines a different light on the situation. And then with a calm assurance, he said, and we can do this. And all we need is $4.4 million in tonight's offering. I'll let that marinate just a moment. There were there was not a moment of how many hundreds do we have? How many fifties do we have? There was not a moment of awkwardness whatsoever. It was just a statement of faith. This was a service that had been entered into not ill-advised or not taken uh, lightly, but it was a service that had been uh, covered by much prayer and fasting. No hype, nothing like that at all. He asked the ushers to come, asked people to respond. I was one of the hundreds that felt prompted of the Lord to walk down and make a pledge toward that offering on behalf of our church. And then Pastor Anthony Mangan, there was some singing that followed that and, and uh, you know other parts of the service that followed that. But Pastor Anthony Mangan from Alexandria was our guest speaker or evening speaker. He stepped behind the pulpit to deliver the message. And, and I can only say that what happened next was divine. As he began to preach, the Spirit of the Lord began to move. And I know there are many men that are present here today that was uh, in attendance at our men's conference a couple of years ago. Now maybe, a, and, and uh, as, as Brother Jody Wells began to talk about a particular mission work that we have been involved in in Guatemala, the Spirit of Giving just begin to stir in that congregation with no prompting. I mean, no, nobody asking, nobody begging, nobody shaming. Men just stood up and started walking down to the platform and laying money on the platform 
And uh, there was enough money raised in that one time unsolicited offering to build and complete the project in Guatemala for the orphanage that we were attempting to, to accomplish. And so I believe that, that, this, that there is a spirit of giving. I believe in that. And so as he began to preach, the Spirit of the Lord began to move and people came down, began to again, once again, come down to the front of the building. I was sitting far uh, back in the build, in the auditorium. I really couldn't see what was going on front. I was watching most everything on the large screens above. And uh, so I couldn't just see everything that was going on, but people were coming down and bringing pledge cards more and more and more and more. And then all of a sudden, at some point, People were coming to the front and they were just announcing what they would like to give. They didn't necessarily have that with them. And they had said right up front that these were pledges that that you had until the end of the year to make good on. And so as the spirit of giving was released in our midst, people just began to come down to the front. And there were people that came down and they were just they were just announcing. And I, don't, I, I know for me to be there and then to try to describe something can all be seen through a different prism. But promise me, this was a very spiritual moment. People began to come down and said, I'm going to sell my bass boat and I, I, will, I will send the proceeds of that. Another man walked down and not for vain glory, he said, I have a 56 Chevrolet. And he said, I'm going to sell that and I'm going to donate this to missions. And people began to give, the spirit of giving began uh, and to move in the hearts of people and and uh, they were giving antique cars and and the, the worth of those things and and before the service was over 4.3 million dollars in cash and pledges had been raised before we left the auditorium now if you think i'm setting you that, that's all right that's good I hope you're not nervous that you think I'm getting ready to set you up for an offering. <laughs> it just dawned on me. Some say, where is he going with that? <laughs> but I wouldn't mind having a 56 Chevrolet if you got one. I'm just going to put that on the table there. <laughs> I'm teasing. By the next morning, because people were watching by internet, and so people around the world were re- began to respond to this offering. And so the next morning when my eyes opened, I, I got right on Twitter because I wanted to see what was going on. And even more money had come through. And yesterday I received a notice uh, from uh, our general superintendent uh, who, who sent this out to everyone. It wasn't just a personal note to me. That enough money has already come in. Not just promise, but enough money has already come in that six of the 26 families have already met their budget and are on their way back to their country of ministry, having their budgets met. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) And so, as of yesterday, the pledges have already now risen to $5 million dollars. That is the largest one-time offering that's ever been raised by the United Pentecostal Church International, which completely shatters the former record offering of $2.4 million. Now, I just I said all of that for a reason. There, God moves supernaturally. God's Spirit prompts people to do something. I remember Brother Mangan saying this, and if you know anything about missions at all, you do know that, that deputation is a part of that, and sometimes that is the bottleneck of 
of a lot of missions programs because there just has to be money in order to do these projects. And so no matter how much of a burden someone may have for another country, it's going to take money to sustain that. The Bible says that money answereth all things. And so it's going to take that. And somewhere in his message, I remember Brother Mangan saying something that just struck me right in the heart. And he said, you know, we are all complaining about the deputation length of time that our missionaries are on deputation. We're all complaining. He said, when are we going to stop complaining about it and stand up and do something about it? And there was just something about that anointed, not a shameful statement, not not a bullwhip statement, but there was just something about that anointed statement that made us, us, I think, collectively realize that, you know what, he's not talking to the air. He's not talking to the wind, but he is speaking to me. He is speaking to the person beside me. And so... And so I must have a vision for the kingdom of God. I've got to get my eyes off just this. I've got to get my eyes off just the church at large. And I must have a vision for the kingdom of God. And so I believe that our participation in missions, whether that is home missions or our missions abroad, is having a vision for the church at large. Amen. The, the, the scope, the big, the big picture. But there is more to the work of the Lord than just vision. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 5 and 3, I don't have this for the screen, but the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 5 and 3, a dream cometh through the multitude of business. And so you, you can dream about something, but at some point you got to get up and do something about it. And so a dream is going to constitute business in just a few, uh, in just a few short weeks. Uh, we will sit down as we, as we do every year and have our annual planning session for all of our department directors and in that meeting our department directors have already or at least are in the process now of of projecting what they're going to be doing many things are already planned in the next year but they're going to be projecting and honing those things down we can meet all day long we can plan all day long but if all we do is meet plan and write it down we're in trouble at some point visions have got to couple themselves with business and you got to rise to the occasion and you got to get up and do something about it. And so the work of the kingdom on earth and in heaven requires more than just dreams and visions. Amen. With dreams cometh much business and they are both vital to the work of God. And I believe they're closely related. I really do. But they are uniquely different in in an individual comparison. They are they're related but they're uniquely different. This morning, I want us to consider the differences of those two. This is most likely, I think, probably not a better illustration in the Word of the Lord of this particular struggle played out for us in the lives of two ladies that we're going to talk about here this morning found in Luke chapter 10. What we find in this gospel really are not just Martha and Mary. I'm going to tell you that what we find in this gospel, we're going to find Kenny and Kathy. We're going to find, I say this with deference, great deference for your age, but Tyson and Rosalie. We're, we're, going, to, we're going to find Bob and Justin. That's what we're going to find. We're going to find us. You're going to find Steve and Jackie today as we read these passages of Scripture because all of us are trying our best to maintain balance between two worlds that are drawing for our attention. There's a spiritual world that uh, that is drawing us, even in this hour, to come closer to the Lord than we've ever been. 
But we are, but, but lost to us is not that other world that is pulling us with rules and roles and, and responsibilities and business that we must, that must be attended to. Luke 10 and 38, the Bible says, Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at the feet of Jesus, sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Now this was sort of a rebuke. But if I could say it was a mild rebuke, I think it was a rebuke that kind of told her not so much in what you're doing is a waste of time. But what he was trying to say is that you have gotten your life out of balance. And I want to point out some balance here. This is a perfect picture of, I think, two worlds colliding, a spirit world, a natural world. This passage reveals a story of two sisters that we know as Martha and Mary, and they They both seem to be rather different in character, yet they possess qualities that we all have to consider because we possess those same qualities. And by all means, I think that we should take this into our own lives. If if we think we're just talking about Mary and Martha today, we can all just skip out of here and think, well, we got out of that pretty good. But if we can change the names Mary and Martha, and if we can write our own names into this passage then that may change the complexion of how we walk away from this sanctuary today. By all means, I believe that we should take this serious and pull this into the fabric of our heart. As you read this passage, I believe you can plainly see the misgivings of one sister concerning the other. And so they're so close. They're so close in what they're trying to do, and yet so far away. The Bible says in in verse 39, And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his words. That phrase, sat at Jesus' feet, that's that's key. That is very key to what was going on. This was not a position of relaxation. This was not just her taking a little time off and cooling her jets. But the Bible says uh, that as she sat at Jesus' feet, what we have to understand about that phrase is that that was an ancient position of disciples that were learning. Amen. That was a position of learning. They sat at the feet of their teachers. And that, that is, in other words, they sat beneath them that were teaching them. And it was a place of humility. And so this was a very intentional place. And I would go as far to say a very intentional posture or position. And so if we come into the house of the Lord, whether it's this service or we go off to church somewhere else or another meeting of some sort, and we're not willing to sit at the feet of whoever is is teaching and preaching, we will do ourselves an injustice, a gross injustice. I don't care how familiar you are with a text that somebody reads. If you're at camp meeting or conference or men's conference, ladies' conference or youth uh, conference, whatever it may be, no matter how familiar you are with the text, we should never fold our arms and say, well, I already heard this story. I already, I already know this. We need to have a 
posture, a position of humility to say, I want to sit at the feet of this. And you know what? I've heard some of the most familiar texts read and then walked away from there having having had the hand of God just touch my eyes and help me to see that or use that particular man or woman of God to reveal something into my life or speak something into my life that I had never experienced before. Acts 22 and 3 speaks about the Apostle Paul having been brought up at the feet of Gamaliel. And so... Here is a man, Paul, that was, that was a disciple that was seated at the feet, seated at the feet, or sitting at the feet of a professor, so to speak, in our more contemporary language. And so when it is said that Mary is sitting at the feet of, of Jesus, it was just, it was, it was a place of learning. It was a place of greater understanding. It was also a position to say to the Master, I am your disciple. Teach me. Say something to me. Mary, however, was, Mary was anxious, I think, to, to, to learn. But Martha, however, the Bible says in verse 40, was cumbered about much serving. Came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that I've been left here to serve all by myself? I mean, while you guys are praying, I'm trying to get the, the chicken purlough just right. Do you, while you while you guys are up here caught up in this spirit realm, I'm trying to make sure the biscuits don't burn. Is it, you, does no one care? Does no one see what I'm trying to do? Martha was cumbered about much serving. And I said a moment ago, as thankful I, as I am for the pre- presence of the Lord, I am equally humbled by the fact that somebody, some Marthas were here this morning long before we got to this building and they were they were tuning their instruments and they were uh, they were clearing their voices and they were making sure we're all on the same page and we're all going in the same direction i'm going to tell you it would it would be utter chaos you may not have any way to really appreciate what happened here this morning right at 10 o'clock you may not have any way to appreciate that because that's how it always happens but I'll promise you, if at 10 o'clock everybody just got here at one time and every praise singer on this platform just started singing the song that was on their heart, <laughs> it'd be utter chaos. That might not even have been the song that was on the musician's heart. And so everybody's just playing their own song, everybody's singing their own song, everybody's doing their own thing. It would be utter chaos and confusion. I'm not trying to insult your intelligence with that illustration. I'm just trying to tell you that, that somewhere somebody decided something here needs to be organized. And, and, and then somebody has to acquiesce to the person that's in charge and say, this is what we need to do. We need, we need to, we need to, to, uh, walk this way and, and think this way. And I'm sure those, uh, those team members are, 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 are given voices, of course, in that process. But it's, it's that they all come together in the end. They all came together in the end. Martha was so distracted with the cares of family and providing properly to entertain the Lord. And uh, those are all important. It's all important. I think it's important to pause and say that there's no evidence whatsoever, and I want to make this clear, that Martha had some kind of worldly disposition. So I'm not trying to make her out as some carnal individual. I don't think she had some worldly disposition at all. It's just that she worries about things that Martha, that Mary wasn't really worried about. 
And, um, you know, sometimes ladies, uh, sometimes our ladies, if they're putting a meal together, uh, sometimes when we are having company or, or on special holidays or something, uh, generally we use a salt shaker and we use a pepper shaker. And, uh, but every now and then my wife, for whatever reason, she just puts the salt in the pepper in a little dish and you just pinch it out. That's not important to me, but it's important to her. And so, because it's important to her, then that's what we do because she has that Martha spirit for the moment. She wants this to be right for our guests or wants it to be right for our family. And there's nothing wrong with that. I appreciate that. That was not a condescending statement whatsoever. I appreciate that. That was not a condescending statement whatsoever. (laughs) I appreciate (laughs) that. I don't want this to be echoed later this afternoon. I'll show you salt. (laughs) So Martha, I mean, Martha, what she's doing is important. It has a place. It has a purpose. And so her anxiety, though, was to provide tangible things for the Lord. They're important. Because of her role within the family, it was a responsibility that was placed upon her. Somewhere along the line, someone had embedded that, had imparted that into her life. Martha had an earnest desire to fulfill her calling, which was, we may say loosely, to entertain the Lord. However, in her desire, she asked the Lord a question that almost had the overtone of a reproof. Because she said, do you not care? Is no, does nobody know? Do you not notice that... That, that while y'all are in here in this great, wonderful Bible study, that you not smell the food cooking, do you not see, you don't hear the dishes clanging around? There's a, there's an implication that Mary was neglecting to assist her, and perhaps even that the Lord was contributing to this as well. Martha had completely missed the reason that Mary was sitting at the feet of the Lord. Therefore, she hinted to Jesus about how busy she had been and how much she needed assistance and the assistance of her sister. In the 41st verse, the Bible says that Jesus answered and said unto Martha, He said, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. The phrase, thou art careful, also could be, uh, thou art anxious. You're anxious about many things. You're troubled. You're disturbed. You're distracted. You're concerned. He, he understood that. He picked up that her concern was legitimate. Many things. The things that she was preparing, the, all the effort, the energy that was going on into that. This was some insight that, that, uh, there was some insight that she was kind of improperly fretting about those things. And then Jesus was reminding her now that Mary had chosen to hear the discussions about the heavenly things, the Word of God. The Bible says in the 42nd verse, But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Nothing is more, I don't think anything is more important. When the Bible talks about that one thing that is needful, that's salvation. Amen. We, we can sing and we can do a lot of things here as a church and have a lot of programs. We can do a lot of things, but if we never talk about the value of salvation, we're missing the big target. We're missing the big mark. And so he said, one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part. 
Amen. Nothing is more than, nothing is more valuable rather than being saved. We have the assurance by, uh, we can have that assurance by repenting of our sins and by being water baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission or the removing, the washing away of those sins and then receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And so we need to make sure those things are in order. She has chosen the important thing, the thing that is needful. And so we got to make sure that we've been born again, ladies and gentlemen, of the water and of the Spirit. Hallelujah. Amen. So uh, let's plan, let's program, let's have all going on that we can get going on. Let's work until Jesus comes. I'd rather be worn out than rust out. Amen. But I'm going to tell you, never leave salvation out of the equation. No matter what we're doing, we need to, to focus on the value that people are lost and they don't have to be lost. We need to focus on the fact that there may be people here even this morning without the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And you know what? You don't have to leave here without it. No, no, no. You don't have to leave here without it. The Bible says that we must be born again. This is not Steve Boyd talking about this today. This is not my opinion. This is not the opinion of the church. This is not just what our bylaws state. But this is what the Word of God states to us. John chapter 3, verse number 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, talking about Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Amen. Now, if I've got something prohibiting me from seeing the kingdom of God, I had better pause and figure out what that is. I've got to take care of this. This is not, this is not just a shoe that doesn't fit. This is not just a shirt with a sleeve that's too long. This is salvation. This is eternity. Eternity. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time to his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is is Spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, You must be born again. Amen. Other things, by way of comparison, are of very little importance. And so that should be secured first. And then all these other things will be added to us. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these other things will be added unto you. Jesus said, Mary hath chosen that good part. Mary has chosen the portion of the gospel, that love of God and the interest of the kingdom, and she had chosen to give up her time and her affections for God. And then the Lord said, which shall not be taken away. <laughs> Martha, whatever vessel you're using to bake those biscuits in, it's, you're going to have to replace that one of these days. You're going to wear that out. You're going to wear out the stove. You're going to wear out the vessels. You're going to wear out the utensils. You're going to wear out the apron. But Mary has gotten a hold of something that cannot be taken away. God will not take His grace away from His people. John 20 and 18 says, Neither shall any man pluck them out of His hand. (laughs) The devil may try. Circumstances may try. Situations may come along and try. But neither any man can pluck us out of the hand of the man that's holding us. What a great promise. There are perhaps several things that we can and should take away from this passage, and I must hurry. From this account, we learn many things. The cares of life are dangerous, even when they are commendable. 
And so I've got to be careful that the cares of life stay in balance. Nothing of, of worldly nature could have been more proper here in this setting than to provide for the Lord. So Martha was not out in la-la land. But the cares of life are dangerous. I'll, tell you, I'll show you in Scripture real quickly how dangerous the cares of life are. In, in, in the book of Genesis, some nine times the Scripture says, And God said, Let there be, and there was. And God said, and God said, and God said, and God said. The Word of God. The Word of God. Powerful. In, in, in Matthew's Gospel, the parable of the sower talks about, again, the Word of God and where it finds itself. And it's likened unto seed. And then it is likened unto to seed and soil. And it talks about rocky soil. It talks about various kinds of soil. But you know what the Scripture talks about in this particular passage of Scripture that talks about the parable of the sower? It says that there are there is one thing that can choke out the Word. The cares of life. The Word that said, let there be. And there was. In the Old Testament. The Word that said, now, and it happened. The Word in the New Testament, because John 1 and 1 said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John goes on to say, And that Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So we know the Word of Genesis 1 was the same Word of Jesus in the manger. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Because Jesus was God manifested in the flesh. Amen. So that same Word that said to the blind, Receive your sight. That word, that's the word I'm talking about. That word that said to the widow of names, child that was dead in a, in a funeral possession, rise. And that child rose. The word of God is powerful. Blind Bartimaeus said, they, that I might receive my sight. And he received his sight. That Word, that Word that is so powerful, hear me today, not because I'm teaching, not because I'm preaching, but I feel the authority of the Word of God going forth this morning. But you know what can choke out the Word of God? It's the cares of life, the cares of this world. We can get so cumbered down that when we hear, Thus saith the Word of God, it means nothing to us. It is muted to us all because of the care of life the cares of life wow and so the cares of life it's dangerous it's dangerous to get so caught up in the world that we lose sight well I got to work well sure well I've got a family to take care of well nobody's suggesting anything less than that but I'm talking about maintaining some balance Amen. If you've got something that's keeping you out of church all the time, you're out of balance. Even if what you're doing is noble, we're out of balance. And that can choke out the Word of God, the very lifeline of the Word of God. If you've got so much going on, you don't have time to pray and to read your Bible. You've got too much going on. Amen. Well, it's getting a little tight. But it's true. It's one, it's more important to listen to the instructions of the Lord. We've got to do certain things. There are certain things that life mandates of us. There are certain things that God and life mandate of us. 
The Bible says that a man that won't provide for his family is worse than an infidel. So I'm certainly not suggesting that you just get up tomorrow, quit your job, and pray all day. <laughs> Unless God dictates that, you're probably going to get hungry after a while. There's nothing more important to, than to listen to the instructions of, of the Word of God. We've got to engage in, in certain things. Because one thing is going to abide forever, and that is His kingdom. In this world, we're just passing through this. James said it was a vapor. That didn't make much sense to me when I was 15. But at 52, that's, that's getting a little bit more in focus. Because if the next 25 go as fast as the last 25, if the next 30 go as fast as the last 30, <laughs> yes, it will. And maybe, maybe faster. I may need some methylate for that after a while. I'm teasing. There's nothing greater, there's nothing greater than a child of the Lord sitting at the feet, learning, learning. Bible study services is, uh, is, is important enough to, it's important enough to merit getting off of work and time, if at all possible, to be there. We need to understand the value of the Word. I understand we're living in, in a real world, but we're living in a day where, where people are so absorbed in what they're doing until church has really lost its priority. That's the truth. I'm not just talking about here. I'm talking about everywhere. 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 Church has just lost its priority. And uh, uh, they, like Martha, are caught up in the cares and the affairs of this world to the point that they can't participate in things eternal. And it's easy easy for even church leaders, for me and church leaders, to, to fall into this trap. And there's many examples that could be used, but I, I, I won't belabor them. But you can get so caught up in the work of what you're doing until we lose sight of the spiritual aspects of what we're doing. And uh, let me just say that and, and, and move along. So whatever your responsibility may be within the church, it's imperative that we keep the Lord as the centerpiece of our lives. Because a man, and, and a, we can get so busy doing, and I mentioned a moment ago, noble things. A man can get so busy making a living and supplying for the natural things in his life that we neglect the spiritual side of our lives and the spiritual aspects in the side of our family. And then all of a sudden our family is, we're doing well over here in the natural sense, but we're spiritually bankrupt. And men... We're called on to be the priest of our home. The priest of our home is not someone... If your image of the priest of the home is is uh, you just laying up and, and somebody feeding you grapes and fanning you all day long, you've got the wrong image. We're the priest of our home, the intercessors of our home. Men, men should lead in worship. They should lead in prayer. They should lead in the spiritual aspects of their home. That's our responsibility. Amen. We spend a lot of time, we, I'm going to say this very loosely, I hope I don't, but we spend a lot of time talking about the responsibilities that ladies bear. But I'm going to tell you something, men, if you think that we are just out here scot-free, we're kidding ourselves. We bear a tremendous responsibility. Amen. The Bible says that we ought to be able to stand in the presence of the Lord and lift our hands without wrath and without doubting. 
Amen. Without wrath and without doubting. And if we're just so temperamental and, and so hard to get along with and, uh, till, till everybody, you know, has one, uh, one viewpoint of you that's very, very negative, then we've got to think about that. We've got to realize that. I, 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 I know there's times, David said to Solomon, there are times you've got to stand to show thyself a man. And I think I know what David was talking about. There are times you've got to flex your muscles. You've got to exercise some authority. Somebody's got to make a decision. Amen? Certainly. But we ought to also know the other side of that, to lift our hands without wrath and doubting, that we can come before the presence of the Lord. And so, to every father in this house this morning, let me challenge you with this thought. Please leave something behind by way of spiritual inheritance for your wife and your children. Amen. Please, 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 please. I don't say this. I, 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 my wife and I talk about this some, uh, uh, just by way of conversation, and so I want to try to to uh, maybe make a use a natural illustration with a spiritual application here. But but you know if if a, a family's in a position to leave something by way of tangible assets to their to their children and or to their grandchildren, that that's a wonderful blessing, a wonderful blessing. You know how far. That you set your family ahead if, if somebody were to leave you some land or to leave you a, a home or to leave you a, 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 a car or leave you a, a little bit of money. That just, that's money that you didn't have to earn. That's, that's something that you didn't have to, to pay for and, and that's something you didn't have to dig out on your own. And so you just set them that much further ahead. And so if you left your child a five-acre plot of ground, just as an illustration, if you left your, your child a five-acre plot of ground, that's land they don't have to go to the bank and borrow money on and pay interest on. And, and so uh, maybe on a 20-year note or a 15-year note or whatever the case may be, uh, and, and so you, you set them ahead that much. You set them ahead that far. That's, that's a bridge they will never have to cross because you cross that for them. Well, if we can think about that in the natural sense, I wonder spiritually what happens. I believe it's the same thing. When we leave a spiritual inheritance, and now I know that we can't, I've, uh, you know, we can get uh, through DNA, we can get characteristics and, and, uh, and, and through genetics, we can get characteristics of our parents. And, and, uh, and, and I, I understand that completely. And I also understand that we can't get genetically passed to us some prayer life of our grandmother. <laughs> our grandfather or whatever the case may be, our mother or daddy. But we can. I, I, I try every morning to say to the Lord, I want to thank you for my heritage. I want to thank you. My mom and dad weren't perfect. They never claimed to be perfect. My grandparents weren't perfect. They never claimed to be perfect. And those that were my mentors and, and that, that as I grew up in this very church weren't perfect and didn't claim to be perfect. But I tell you what they did. They paved a path for me. They crossed some bridges I didn't have to cross. The night I wanted the Holy Ghost, I just came down to the altar, lifted my hands, repented of my sins. Amen. I didn't have a lot of junk to have to wade through and get over. I, I inherited a lot spiritually. And so I say to you today, amen, if you're, if you're worried about leaving homes and land and money, let me tell you something. That's okay in its place, but it's all going to rust. It's all going to corrode. It's all going to lose its value one day. If it loses its value, uh, not in this lifetime when the trumpet sounds, it's not going to be worth anything. If you're going to leave something, leave a spiritual inheritance. Leave them a desire 
to be a Mary that sits at the feet of the Lord that postures ourselves and says, I am your disciple and teach me. Teach me. Leave them a vision. Duty and responsibility is a wonderful thing. And it's an essential part of life. But there is more to the life of living for the Lord than just what we can accomplish with our hands. You know, I've watched my fair share of people who are willing to burn the midnight oil to accomplish something with their hands. But those same people wouldn't spend 30 minutes in an altar praying for revival. Amen. They just work all night long trying to accomplish something in the natural. And it's important. It has its place. But I'm talking about maintaining balance. There would be no task too great as long as it didn't require sitting at the feet of the Lord. But we must have a balance between what we dream and what we are responsible for. Because dreams and responsibilities are as functional as the left hand and the right hand, while they're opposites, they do fit together correctly and they work together in harmony. Dreams and and responsibilities are essential attributes displayed here in our Scripture text by these two women. I suppose that we could look at this in another light. There's, there's, there must always be balance in our lives between spiritual duties and natural duties. And if you only have a vision of spiritual thing without being responsible for the natural things, then nothing's going to get done. That's the truth. But by the same token, if we only have responsibility without a vision... It brings drudgery. I, I know you've heard this illustration. It's, it's been around a long time. And I may not have this exactly right. but, but So the story goes, one, a man walked up on a job site one day and, and there were two um, men who were working masonry there. And, and one man was asked, he said, what are you doing? That man just barely looked up and he said, I'm laying block." He walked down and asked another man, he said, Sir, what are you doing? He said, I am building a cathedral. (laughs) Because one man was working without a vision. He knew not what he was doing. He just was hired. He He was just only interested in how much am I getting an hour or how much am I getting a block. He wasn't interested to say, Hey, by the way, what are we building here? Can I look at the blueprint? Do you care to let me look into the to glimpse into the future of what we're doing here? And so if you only work with responsibility, if you only work with duty, after a while it'll be a drudgery. After a while you'll just be laying block. But when you know how to work with a vision, another man was laying just as many blocks. His hands were just as callous. His brow was just as sweaty. But the vision that was coupled with the responsibility caused him to say, I'm not just working for a dime. I'm not just working for a dollar. I'm not just laying a block. But I, sir, am building a cathedral. And so I say today, let's have balance between our duties, our responsibilities, and the visions and the dreams that we have. I've got great visions and dreams for this church and its future. But you know what? In the meantime, we're going to have church on Sunday and we're going to have outreach programs and we're going to have in-reach programs. And (laughs) Hallelujah! We're going to try to keep all of this balance and sometimes it's an overwhelming task 
to try to keep it all balanced because sometimes I feel like that we're working this way and sometimes I feel like we're working this way, but we're just trying to find our balance and sail through the sea of life. Amen. But by the same token, if, 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 if you only have a vision... You've heard, the, I think somebody wrote a song about it, or at least it's, I've heard this phrase, some people are too heavenly, so heavenly minded they're no earthly good. And at some point you've got to get up off your knees because we just got to get the grass cut. <laughs> at, at some point you just got to close the Bible because we've got to fix this leaking pipe. Is that all right? So no matter how exciting an event starts out, I'll promise you this. If you lose your vision, you're, you're soon going to find yourself in trouble. If you forget what you're aiming at. And you know what? This can happen in marriages. Yes, it can. Let me pause here and just have a marriage retreat. If, if, if you lose the vision of what you're trying to accomplish in the beginning, you can find yourself in trouble. Because there's a few years of just grinding it out. Amen. That's the truth. Whether that is grinding it out financially to try to, 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 to try to pay for a home or to clothe our children. And there's a, there's a moment in every family, or there's a season, I should say, I think more accurately, in every family when you just look around and all you, all you can hear is the noise. And I'm not just talking about screaming children. I'm just saying the noise of it all. And it's overwhelming. And you know what? That's at that moment you need to go back and wait and back up and say, wait a minute, I'm losing my vision that I had. I'm losing the vision that I had. My vision was to have life and happiness and fulfillment the rest of my life. Is that all right? I mean, for some reason you seem to get quiet on that, but we'll just move right along. Amen. It's the truth, though. Think with me. Every relationship that I know of contains these two elements, dreams or visions, and then what it takes to make that dream a reality. I never will forget, we hadn't been married very long, I never will forget my wife coming home. I've told this story to some degree several times, but coming home and she said, I I found a brand new house for us. Brother Gibson, you remember that house. And, and here's, you know, the, they had a program for first-time home buyers, young couples, and they had a, a program, and, and here, here's how we can do it. So we went and looked at the house, and oh, wow, it was just so neat and so nice, and we're going to be homeowners of a brand-new home. No one has ever lived here. And then all of a sudden, we get to the point of how much. And the how much wasn't, wasn't easy every month. And there were some days the how much almost spoiled the smell of the new carpet. <laughs> Come very close on several occasions to spoiling it all. But you see, you, if you want a dream, you've got to somewhere make it a reality. If our musicians would come, that will help most everybody <laughs> feel better. <laughs> Because you'll at least think I will feel more of an obligation to stop. But I am closing. I want to share a scripture with you. And, and I, I, want, I want Jericho to put that on the screen if you will. And I want you to 
to just put this on the screen and I want you to just leave it there for a while. The Bible says in the book of Ezekiel, if, if you've got a Bible with you today, you may want to underline this scripture or highlight it or something. Because Ezekiel 10 and 8 says this, And there appeared in the cherubims the form of a man's hand under the wings. Now this is talking about the Ark of the Covenant, the cherubims, wings of the cherubims that were on one side stretched toward the cherubim facing the other way. But there appeared a form of a man's hand under the wings. The cherubims that are mentioned in this scripture mounted on the Ark of the Covenant. Now I want you to just stay with me. I am closing. I was teasing about that, but... I think I'm going to be talking for the next few minutes about the most serious part of anything we've discussed up to this moment. These cherubims were the closest thing possible to the anointing of God, the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant. The cherubims, they're right there. They're right there. And the Bible says that here was this image or form of a man's hand under the wings. I think the scripture is very challenging as we attempt to apply this to our lives every day. Notice two things that Ezekiel saw in the cherubims. The first was the form of a man's hand. But the second thing that that Ezekiel points out is that that hand was under the wing. Under the wing. I believe there's a clear message for us today, and that is this, that that our hands in the kingdom, God's going to need our hands. God's going to need some tangible things. But our hands need to be under the wings of the cherubim. Under the anointing of God. The cherubim with its wing represents spiritual things. A man's hand represents natural things. Now in the most sacred of all places, in all scripture, we find the real key to having balance in our lives. It's here that we discover the key to the success and the relationships that will preserve us all the way to the meeting of the Lord. Because all of man's effort. Let's do our best. I've used you guys a whole lot today. I'm I'm not trying to pick on you. Let's do our best. Let's get it on key. Let's keep it in time. Let's all march in the same direction. But for God in heaven's sake, let's keep our hands under the cherubim. Jennifer, don't come here with your own agenda. Keep your hands under the cherubim. Amen. Braxton, don't, don't come here and, 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 and do your own thing, but say, Lord, I want to take these hands. These hands are literally going to have to touch those keys. These hands are literally going to have to be used. And, and so we need something beyond, not that's, not that's supernatural, but something very natural. And that is your ability, your time, your talent. But oh, we need them under. Brother Brian, Brother Allen, please keep those hands that you're literally using Keep them under the cherubim. 
Keep them under the cherubim. We've got to stay. We must stay God-controlled and never allow ourselves to become duty-controlled to the extent that we just are marching aimlessly, aimlessly, aimlessly. You know what? I don't... I. I I write my sermons out manuscript form. What I mean by that, kind of word for word, not just high points. And, and I do that because it just helps me to remember. And I don't say everything that I write down and, and say some things I didn't write down. But here's my point. I bring something with me, but the last thing you want me to do is just get up here and read this. Well, I could do that. But you would be, I would have lost you way long time ago. What we need is the anointing of God. We have man's effort, man's best effort, but I've got to take man's best effort and make sure I keep it under the cherubim. Amen. Because while they are heavenly visions that people experience every day, we have got to realize that we need God, His hands, His help, and God needs us. There's a plan of salvation that's given in the Word of God that begins with Acts 2.38, but it certainly doesn't stop there, no. Every relationship has to find this balance in order to enjoy the fruit of that of what, whatever that relationship can bring. And I believe that every relationship needs to find the balance between flesh and spirit, flesh and spirit, flesh and spirit. There's a spirit side and there's a duty side. And if you lose your passion for your job, I promise you, it's going to become a duty. And duty without passion is going to be a drudgery. Drudgery. And if you lose your passion for your marriage, I mentioned that a moment ago, what happens? You're left with nothing more than duty. And you're just getting up to grind out a living so you can just feed those curtain climbers and that nagging wife. And I'm going to tell you, there'll be men all over America on jobs with that attitude tomorrow. And there will be wives that will, that will go about their, the, the, the duties and responsibilities for a wife and, and whatever that may be. I, I'm scared. I'm really literally scared to mention a few things. <laughs> what, whatever those duties may be in your household. But if you if you do that and you're you're just trying to fulfill some obligation, you're going to be throwing clothes in the dryer in the washer. You're going to be snatching them out of the dryer, and 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 you're not going to fold them up. You're just going to wad them up and aim for the armoire. That's right, because it's all become a duty and a job and a responsibility, and drudgery. I promise you, you're going to be using salt shakers, and it won't be just in one of them little open containers. I promise you. Might just be salt packets you stole from Hardee's. I might maybe. Lord, we better stand before I get in trouble. More trouble. Let's stand. Oh God, help us to maintain balance. I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you, I don't ever want to lose my passion for the kingdom of God. You know what? Time is walking me down. I'm older right now than I've ever been in my life. Time is walking me down. Every day it's robbing some strength. But I don't want it to steal my passion. My eyes are not what they were when I was 18. And my ears after 32 years of standing under and working under monitors and sound systems, they're not what they were when I first started. 
And so time and circumstances whittled away a little bit. Don't use that against me later. Time and circumstances whittled away, but I don't want it to whittle away at my passion. If God affords me the privilege, Brother Gibson, to live to be an old man, my steps may get slower, but I want my passion to be ever more what it has always been. Amen. That's why it's important to keep our flesh under the wing of the Spirit. I want to be God-motivated and not self-motivated. Thank you for allowing me some extra time here today and extending perhaps beyond some of our comfort zone. But I'm asking you, would you just stretch your hands to heaven and can we by faith ask God not to just allow us to hear this word with our ears, but oh God, help us to hear this with our spirit. I don't want to just understand this on an intellectual level, but oh God, I want to understand this on a spiritual level. I want to bring this into my life, into my home. Amen. Into my family. I want to share it with my family. I want to share it with my my children. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.